0: You notice the handout that has been given to you has a heading entitled, How to Avoid Degeneration of Generation Next. How to Avoid Degeneration of Generation Next. Now it may appear like a very theological or a technical title. But let me explain it to you and let me also explain what I would be doing in the coming months ahead when I am here with you every month. I will be doing a series of studies on the book of Judges and the title that I have given to this series is this, How to Avoid Degeneration of Generation Next. Anthropologists tell us that the term generation refers to all the people born at a particular time. For example, the 1940s and the 1950s, people here who have been born in that generation were called as the Baby Boomers, okay? Then the 1960s was called as the Hippie Generation. Then the 1970s was called as Generation X, And the generation following that, the 80s and the 90s, were called as generation next. Okay? So we are looking at those people here who have been born in the 80s and the 90s. Okay? And how many here are there from the 40s and the 50s? And the question that we must ask ourselves this morning as we start this series on the book of Judges is, when we think about the past, oftentimes we say those who are the good old days, okay, the people who are old. And people will think, hey, what's happening to this generation? We do not know what is going to happen to the next generation. But if we are going to be individuals as believers, as a church, if we want to make sure that generation next does not degenerate, we must be individuals who are setting things right in our own lives. If look at the book of Judges, we will find that this was, if you we were to say, generation next. Here were the children of Israel who had come out of Egypt. Now, that first generation that had come out, They had to wander around in the wilderness for forty years because of their unbelief. Now a next generation is born in the wilderness and now they have entered into the promised land. But during that promised land period again we find that there has been not much of a total dedication and development. As a result the generation that comes in the book of Judges is indeed what we would call as the generation next because here's a person or here are people who have not really doing the things that really belong to God. Why was this so? Because the generation that was born in the wilderness, the generation that was there during the period of Joshua in the Promised Land has somehow not given over to the succeeding generations what it means to really know and love the Lord and to follow him. I'm sure they would have looked back on the exploits of the children of Israel coming out of Egypt and they said, hey our God is a great God. (coughs) But this generation is there in the book of Judges, we'll find these guys are doing what the rest of the people are doing. The rest of the world is following Baal, they also worship Baal. The rest of the the people are doing a particular practice, they also follow those same practices. There's not much of a difference and it's only when problems come up a little too much into their lives, they cry out to God and God delivers them mercifully. (coughs) Now we must ask ourselves this morning in our own lives as a church, in our own lives as individuals, People who are born in their 70s, in their 80s and their 90s, how many even in the church are there going on, vibrant and on a flame for God? Often you'll find in churches you may have people in there who are born in their 40s and 50s and 60s and 70s. But when it comes to people in there who are born in their 80s and the 90s, individuals are so maybe between 25 upwards, you know, you will find them not present. They may say, we appreciate work. They may say, we are not interested. Why is that so? Because the previous generation has definitely not passed on that which God has called them to. And as a result, as the book of Judges will often say, every man did that which was right in his own eyes and that's the generation that we are living in. A generation that says, there's no standard of right and wrong. If it makes you feel good, go ahead and do it. What is right for you may be wrong for me. What is wrong for you will be right for me. Everybody will do what is right in their own eyes. That's the generation next that we are living in. How has that come about? Because the previous generation has not taken the stand of standards that they were expected to set. So when we are looking at this book of Judges this morning, it will be more of an introduction to in order to help us to understand the whole context of this book and we will do a few verses in that first chapter and then as the months go along, we will pick it up and do it in an expository manner. I understand I am not here on a regular basis but I hope you will be there regularly. And also we would have this made available for you in audio formats if you are interested. Now when you are looking at this book of Judges, I wonder if you have actually heard a series of messages or a series of expository messages on this book. I am sure you remember a few stories from this book. But a series of messages on the book of Judges, I do not know how many people would have actually heard a series. Why? Because this book of Judges is in a way a difficult book to understand because it is a very bizarre book. Now why do I say it's a bizarre book? Here in this book you will find a man wearing a loom in his head. You will read of an army defeated by its own soldiers. You will also read the horrific story of a man chopping his dead girlfriend into pieces and delivering those pieces by special messenger to 12 different tribes of Israel, 12 different parts of Israel. You will also study about a woman who wins a battle for Israel by hammering a nail through a man's head, and that nail goes right into the ground. A very, very bizarre book, isn't it? So studying Book of Judges is not for the faint of heart, isn't it? A lot of these type of disturbing narratives in the Bible and as a result we say, I don't want to study Judges. Maybe I'll study some other book but not definitely Judges. And if you notice even in the hero's list of faith in Hebrews chapter 11, you find a whole list of all the details about the other heroes of faith. But Hebrews chapter 11 and verse 32 tells us this, I do not have time to tell about Gideon, Barak, Samson and Jephthah. These are all people in the book of Judges. The writer to the Hebrews says, I don't have time for all these guys. I have time for all the other guys of the Old Testament. But these guys, there are some different, different things about them. Think about Jephthah, think about Samson, think about Barak. So Judges gets ignored. Why does it get ignored? A couple of reasons again. Because oftentimes in evangelical circles we believe that the New Testament is for the New Testament church. The Old Testament is not for us today. The Old Testament was for the Jews. The Old Testament was for old people if you were to say, the previous generation, not for us. There's nothing much in the Old Testament to learn because has so much of all these laws, strange laws, strange sacrifices. So we would rather keep ourselves only to New Testament principles. Wrong reason. Also, sometimes we think that the Old Testament are only stories and we think that we can just pick up those stories and once you have understood those stories, it is done with. No, there are principles that they can learn from these stories and they are actually incidents that happened by the way. Because a lot of people have questions about Old Testament stories. They will say, was there really a Garden of Eden? Was there really an Adam and Eve? Was there really a Samson? Was there really a flood? They have questions about all those stories. They think they are just mythological stories. They are not real. So they just overlook all that. Not at all. Every incident that is mentioned in the book of Judges is a real incident and as a result we must learn from it. Also we may say, what can we preach from the book of Judges? This seems to be such a bizarre book. Can we speak anything about grace and the gospel from this book? There doesn't seem to be any of that. So we would not really do it, but this is a book that we must study. Because the principle that we learn from this book is a very important principle. Remember the children of Israel were in Egypt for around 400 years. They were immersed totally in the paganism of Egypt. They cried out to the Lord, the Lord delivered them. But it was easy, relatively easy to get the children of Israel out of Egypt but to get Egypt out of their hearts was very difficult. And the church today is often in that position, isn't it? We say we are believers, we say that we are being saved, but to get the world out of the church seems so very difficult. The book of Judges gives us answers for those questions as well. If you notice, <coughs> when they came out of the land of Egypt, into the promised land, now they come to a new place, God has given them the victory. But when they are in the promised land, they are exposed to all these new gods that are there, all these fertility gods that are there, especially Baal. And then when they begin to see these guys worshipping these idols, and they say, hey, we also want some fertility in our lives. We also want some better crops in our lives, so we will play around, we will also worship these gods so that our answers can be God. Isn't that what is also happening with the church today, where we say, yes, we would want to go with God, but one leg is there. But the other leg is also on options. If God does not work out, I already have some other options. And we think that is perfectly okay, but the book of Judges tell us that that is not definitely okay. Now, when you are studying the book of Judges, it is important for us to look at the context. Just as much as if you want to do a series of studies on the book of Revelation, we need to do a lot of background information. Similarly, even when you are looking at any book for that matter, we must look at all the background information about these books. This is why we will start off first of all by asking the basic questions of who, when, what, where why, okay. So let's look at the first question, who wrote the book of Judges, okay. We to ask you, who wrote the book? The Bible doesn't mention it, okay, it's as simple as that. Otherwise, other books we say, yes, very clearly mentioned, but the book of Judges, there's no mention on who wrote the book. So, as a result, people will ask questions. If you don't even know who wrote the book, why study the book? But we must understand this very clearly that everything that is there in the Bible is for a purpose. And who really wrote the book? It is not really the human individual who wrote the book that matters, but it is God who has written the book and put it down for us in scripture. But just as information, it has been traditionally accepted that it was written by Samuel. And it was written more or less in the period of the King David. Reason why? Because of the constant references, since there was no king in Israel, the people did that which was right in their own eyes. In other words, it's a reflection. Of what had happened earlier. Now that King David has been established on the throne, the individual is writing this book, Samuel was present over there, looking back on the time that has gone by, comparing why was it like that? It is like writing a history book to say, why did it happen like that? And trying to understand that. And in that context, this has been written. So who wrote the book? Samuel was the one who wrote the book which has been generally accepted and when was this book written? You would say this was written probably during the period of King David. But what were the time period of the events in this book if you were to say? This would cover roughly between 1400 to 1050 B.C. The events that are covered in this book would be around 350 years. So we are hoping to try and cover during the next couple of months what happened in 350 years which has been put together for us in this one book. Now it's going to be a rather exhaustive study and it's also going to be a little difficult study because we are trying to understand what happened in 350 years. So this is the background information. Now what is the purpose of this book? What is the purpose of this book? We find that once the children of Israel came out of Egypt, Joshua has uh, helped them to get into the Promised Land. But during the period that Joshua is in charge, which was around 25 years or so, the peer and the land has been distributed to the twelve tribes and then he gives his final speech to the people. You decide, you make up your decision who you're going to follow, but as for me and as for me and my house, I will follow the Lord. That's the decision that he makes. And what do the people all say? Yes, we will also follow you. That is what they are saying. But already by the time of his end they have already begun to fall away and if you notice not just fall away, they have also begun to pick up the idols of the people in the promised land and begun to worship them which is a rather strange but definitely a bad situation. Why was this so? Because that which was in their heart has somehow now surfaced up. The Bible tells us very clearly, isn't it? That is, out of the abundance of your heart your mouth will speak. What is there in your heart sooner or later is going to come out. Maybe as children you may say, Yes, I love the Lord. But if your hearts are not really wanting to follow the Lord, what happens as you grow up, as you are exposed to the world and all that has to offer, your attraction to the world takes over. And then you say, I really love the world more than I really love the Lord. What was there in your heart is being expressed, and as a result, you're given to it. That which has been hidden for generations, well, if it is not really from the heart, the next generation is easily able to see whether your heart was really for the Lord or not. You may have come to church, the previous generation, by the way, I'm speaking about. It. You may have come to church very regularly, but if your heart was not really in place to follow the Lord, putting the Lord number one in your life, the next generation has seen that happening in your life because they have seen you doing other things during their weekdays. They have seen you other practices in your home and the next generation that is growing up is saying, Hey, this person is not really loving the Lord and they are picking up what the world has to offer. And that's what happened in the book of Judges. The scripture tells us that they did not know the Lord or the work that he had done for Israel. That is this generation next. They did not know the Lord or the work that he had done for Israel. Is that the generation next that we are living in? You look into your own life. You look into the church. How many people who have been born in the 80s and 90s, do they still know the Lord? Do they still follow after him? Or have they just gone off, gone off track and saying, I do not know what they are believing in. I come to church regularly but what's happening to them I don't know. If that is the case, the book of Judges gives us key truths. And if we don't want this to happen, the book of Judges gives us also principles of how we can make sure that there will not be a degeneration of generation next. Yet another key thing that this book, speaks about is that when Joshua died, the Lord did not appoint another leader. If you notice, the scripture tells us in the book of Joshua, it speaks about Moses, my servant is dead. So Joshua comes in. But when Joshua dies, there's no leader that has been picked up. And oftentimes people will say, maybe that was the real reason. Why people did what they did, but why did God did not pick up one person as a leader to lead the people? And oftentimes we may ask ourselves the same question, isn't it? We may say it all depends on the leaders. If the leaders messed it up, so we are not to be blamed. If only God had put the right leaders in place, things would have been different. But why did God not put those leaders? Because God wanted the team that was there. The Levites, the priests whom God had already appointed, they were the ones who had been put across in all the tribes all around in different, different places. God expected them to take up that role and to build the whole community together. But somewhere along the line, they have also messed it up. It was not only the people who did that which was right in their own eyes. Even the Levites, if you notice the Bible in the book of Judges speaks about Levites also, who did that which was right in their own eyes. They failed miserably. The Judges also failed miserably. But in the midst of all this, the book of Judges is speaking about a hope that he has given. When the Lord says, I will build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. The scripture is teaching us this important principle. It is the Lord's church. We are not speaking about the leaders of the church. It is the Lord's church and he is the one who builds it. And here also, if you notice, that's what the Lord does, isn't it? The scripture teaches us very clearly. It is the Lord who raised up judges. It is the Lord who raised up these deliverers. It is the Lord who raised up these individuals to lead the people during this period. Now when you're thinking of the word judges, immediately our mind comes across a picture of a judge in a court. That's the image that we get. But this is another picture here when the Bible speaks about a judge. The word that is used there for judge means a deliverer, more of one who was helping the people to be freed from their oppression of their enemies. He was not really standing in justice. He was more a deliverer that the Lord sent to raise the people out. But look at what happens—the sad story. In spite of the grace and mercy of God, Judges chapter two, Judges chapter two, verses 17 to 23, Judges chapter two, verses 17 to 23 says, "Yet they did not listen to their judges." for they bowed after other gods and bowed down to them. They soon turned aside from the way in which their fathers had walked, who had obeyed the commandments of the Lord, and they did not do so. Previous generation obeyed, next generation no obedience. Whenever the Lord raised up judges for them, the Lord was with the judge, and he saved them from the hand of their enemies all the days of the judge. For the Lord was moved to pity, by their groaning because of those who afflicted and oppressed them. But whenever the judge died, they turned back and were more corrupt than their fathers going after other gods, serving them and bowing down to them. They did not drop any of their practices or their stubborn ways. So the anger of the Lord was kindled against Israel and he said, Because this people has transgressed my covenant that I commanded their fathers, and I have not obeyed my voice, I will no longer drive out before them any of the nations that Joshua left when he died in order to test Israel by them, whether they will take care to walk in the way of the Lord as their fathers did or not. So the Lord left those nations not driving them out quickly and he did not give them into the hand of Joshua. Here we find the grace and mercy of God but when that's disobedience, The Bible also tells us what is going to be the consequence. So the book of Judges has to be studied because it is so relevant for today's time. It is a book that deals with all these different different situations which we think are unique for today. No, it was the same scenario so many centuries back also. And if we can learn from these principles, learn from these examples, principles to follow, then we can make sure that we also would be able to avoid degeneration of generation next. Now, there are different ways to study or to read the book of Judges. There are different ways because the book of Judges is uh, uh, different, different types of narratives if you were to say. So there are different passages that need to be studied from a different way. Let me just enumerate for you five different ways in which we need to consider to study different parts of this book. Some passages may emphasize one approach above and other. Some approaches may have to be together but some approaches may be one over the other. Number one is the historical approach historical approach. Now, the whole book, if you notice, is not a chronological history. If you look at it, the first couple of chapters will be different, different judges, and then at the end you have just a description of something that happened during that period. So yes, it is history, but not a chronological history. So we need to be careful of how we are studying what passage, right? but we must definitely make sure that these are actually events that happen. So never for a moment say, hey, I don't think that could have happened. Now how could jail have taken a peg or a nail and put it through the head of Sisera so that it could go right through into the ground? I don't think it would have happened. They are just stories that were made up so there's nothing that I can learn from that. No. All these incidents, all these events actually happened. Why it happened and how it happened and what lessons we can learn from it we must learn. Secondly, it is also from a political angle. Remember, as I mentioned to you, this book has been written during the period of David the king to emphasize this particular truth that yes, when there is a godly leader, what happens? But when there were no leaders, what also happens? People did all that which was right in their own eyes since there was no king in Israel. Thirdly, which also speaks about a covenant-making God, A relationship that God wants to establish, which he mentioned in Deuteronomy chapter 12. The whole chapter speaks about if you do this, 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 then I will bless you. But if you do not obey me, then I will make sure that punishment will come, I will make sure the consequences will come, I will make sure that there is no deliverance. So on one side when you are studying this book of Judges, we recognize that our God is a God who keeps his covenant. He has made his covenant with us when he said, I have called you by name, you are mine. We are now in the palm of his hand, we are the apple of his eye. Yes, that is his covenant with us. but. We dare not presume on that covenant and say, I can do whatever I want to do. After all, I am his child. You'll pat me on the back and say, son, daughter, don't worry. No. The covenant keeping God is also a keeper of justice. So whether it's disobedience, as we find in this passage that we just read, the Lord will also say, I'm no longer going to do this. So we speak about the covenant in the book of Judges. We also speak about the church. also speak about the church. Romans chapter 15 and verse 4 speaks about how all these things that have happened in the Old Testament has happened as examples for us. Paul also mentions the same thing in 1 Corinthians chapter 10 and verse 11. Romans 15, 4 and 1 Corinthians 10, 11. So all the incidents, all the things that happened in the Old Testament, it's not so that we close that book and say that is not for me. It is sad so that we can learn from them. They made those mistakes, let us not make those same mistakes. How can we make sure that the next generation will not get degenerated, study the previous generation, find out what are the mistakes that they made so that you don't make the same mistakes again. It is an example for the church today. So Judges is not just history, Judges is not just theology. Judges is written as examples to build up our faith. Judges is written so that it can be examples for us of the right things that we should do and also of the wrong things that we should not do. And fifthly, it is also a foreshadow of the Messiah who was going to come. Hebrews chapter 11 speaking about the whole list of heroes of faith then also speaks about how they were all looking forward to the one who was going to come. The Messiah himself. And even as we look at the church today and as we look forward for his coming, as we look at the church today and look at all the things that are happening in the world today, as we study about how people are doing that which is right in their own eyes. You read the newspapers today, you see the news on the television today and we understand and we wonder why is the world doing something like this? How can a person even dream of doing something like this so bad? Why? The scripture tells us they are doing that which is right in their own eyes. But what is all this projecting towards? It is projecting towards the Messiah who is going to come back again to take us to be with himself, a new heaven and a new earth. Let's move further. Why should we study this book? Couple of important reasons. Number one, Judges is directly from God and it is useful for us in the 21st century. Judges is directly from God. When we read any passage in the New Old Testament or in the New Testament, let us be careful that we do not just speak about Paul saying this or Peter saying this. It is the Lord saying it. And as we read this passage, is in, in the book of Judges, let us remember that there is God himself who has put this book into the Bible for us, so that we can learn from these individuals' mistakes. Remember, the scripture is telling us in Genesis chapter 22 and verse 1 that God was testing Abraham. The Bible also tells us about another period of Judges that God was testing his people, God kept the giants in the land when they came into the promised land to test them, to see how they would respond. Two of them said, yes, we are able to conquer and they conquered, the rest of them did not. And even when God gave them the victory, the scripture tells us in the book of Judges, they did not kill everybody, they still left some giants behind, disobedience was there. So all these things are, the Bible says, oppositions, problems, place them in the world. Why? It was as a test. When we are living in this world, living with all its temptations around, living with all its pressures around, why has God placed us like that? Sometimes you may say, why can't God take away these desires? Why can't God change these pressures? Why can't God make things easier for me so that I can take a stand for Christ? No, God has placed all these things as a test. Are we going to pass the test or are we going to fail the test? (coughs) Somebody has put it across this way, when faith becomes disinterest, then disinterest becomes unbelief, when faith turns to disinterest, then disinterest turns to unbelief. Ask yourself, is there an interest in the things of God? You say, Yes, I have faith. But is that becoming over a period of time a disinterest in the things of God? How much is your yearning for God's word and God's people? And how much yearning is there for the people and the things of this world? If you are not careful, this is the progression. This is the progression for degeneration. Faith, when it turns to disinterest, next generation or in your own life that disinterest will become unbelief. <coughs> so the scripture tells us in 2 Timothy chapter 3 and verse 16, all scripture is God great and profitable. And as in result judges is part of scripture. It is definitely profitable. Secondly, the reason why we need to study the book of Judges is in order to understand and appreciate biblical stories. In order to understand and appreciate biblical stories. Now there's a tendency in today's world to knock off those stories in the Bible as they're all Sunday school stuff. This is what is called as a Sunday school syndrome. People may say, I've heard it all before. Kids would say that, isn't it? It's start telling them story, okay, let's listen to some Bible stories. I've heard that story before, tell me another story. And that's an attitude that we had. And we pick up all these stories from the Old Testament and say, I've heard that story before, tell me something else. And they become just Old Testament stories that we can just flip over. And why is this so? Because as children, When we learned those Sunday school stories, we just picked up some basic moral lessons from them. We did not study those Bible stories from a theological perspective, isn't it? We did not study those Old Testament stories to say, hey, these are examples for our Christian living. We learned only some simple one moral lesson that we can learn from those stories. And as a result, when we grew up, we said, I know that story. And as a result of today, we say, well, very simplistic messages, I don't really have to listen or study them anymore. But in order to have a greater appreciation for the Bible stories, we need definitely to study this book. But thirdly, I would say also an important reason is that the Church of Jesus Christ is becoming just like the period of the Judges. The Church of Jesus Christ is becoming just like the period of (coughs) Judges. Daniel Block, a writer says, gives us a detailed reason why the Judges are so appropriate for our own day. He says, like the ancient Israelites, we too are being squeezed into the mold of the pagan world around us. Evidences of the canonization of the Church are everywhere our preoccupation with material prosperity which turns Christianity into a fertility religion, our synchristic and aberrant forms of worship, our refusal to obey the Lord's call to separation for the world, our divisiveness and competitiveness, our moral compromises as a result of which Christians and non-Christians are often indistinguishable, Our exploitation and abuse of women and children, our reluctance to answer the Lord's call to service and when we finally go, our propensity to displace thy kingdom come with my kingdom come, our eagerness to fight the Lord's battles with the world's resources and strategies and our willingness to stand up and defend perpetrators of evil instead of justice. David Claude says, this is the reason the church is becoming like the period of judges. And this is not as a judgment, but we need to look into our own lives and be honest and say, hey, this is what is happening, let me make sure that the next generation does not degenerate. Let me make sure that I pass on the faith that has been entrusted to me to the next generation faithfully, that the next generation will be very strong. I said that as an as an introduction. Let us look now into the passage that is before us in chapter one, verse one onwards. <coughs> it says, after the death of Joshua, the Israelites asked the Lord, "Who will be the first to go up and fight for us against the Israelites?" And the Lord answered, "Judah is to go." I have given the land into their own hands. This was a very promising beginning, isn't it? It's such a nice verse in the book of Judges. And the rest of the book of Judges, people did that which was right in their own eyes. But this passage starts off so very nicely. The people inquired of the Lord. Ask yourself, even this morning, <coughs> was there a day? When you knew what God required of you, you knew how you should live, you knew the purpose that God has for your life. Was there a day like that when things were so clear in your minds? But today, are those days still there or have you slipped up? Have you moved possibly from victory to defeat? Have you found an apathy creeping into your life? Is there a coldness in the things of God in your life? If that's so, ask yourself, what should I be doing? This passage tells us the first thing that we should do, isn't it? The first thing we should do is seek the Lord. Seek the Lord. <clears throat> and that's what the people did. And that's what the people did. And this morning, let's also ask the Lord, Lord, I really want to see your face. I want to make sure that the next generation does not get degenerated. I want to make sure that me, even my own, my own generation, the next years of my life will be fruitful years. And as a result, this morning, when I look into my life, I may look back and say it was a promising beginning, but now over the years that have gone, by apathy I said it, Lord, this morning I want to inquire of you. The scripture tells us over there that the children of Israel inquired of the Lord. Now, when you're thinking about this word inquired, it means basically in this context to seek a direct message or an oracle from Jehovah. In other words, they really meant business with God. They said, God, we want you to speak to us. It was not a casual rendering and say, God, please show us what we need to do. If you don't show us, we already have decided what we are going to do anyway. So we are going to go ahead with it. No, that's not what it is. The word that is used there for inquiring means, Lord, unless you tell us what, we are going to need, what you want us to do, we are not going to move forward. Is that how we plan our lives? Is that how we plan activities in the church? Is that how seriously we are in meaning business with God? The scripture tells us they inquired of God. We must ask ourselves this morning how seriously are we inquiring of God for our lives for the future or have we made up our own plans. It is interesting that from this time forward inquiring of the Lord is mentioned only in the end of the book of Judges. Right throughout the rest of the book of Judges, no inquiring, it is just only in the very beginning okay. So when you are speaking about seeking the Lord, the first thing that we need to do is God's people need to inquire of Him. It is very dangerous to have our own plans and visions and then to ask God to bless what we want to do for Him. Today, ask yourself, have you sought God's vision for your life? Have you sought God's goals for your life? Have you sought God's visions and goals for the church? Or have you made up your own plans and come to God and say, God, please show us what we need to do. We have already decided these things and then we want you to bless it and just confirm it. Inquiring means, Lord, we want to hear your voice. How that happened, how the Lord showed them, the Bible doesn't tell us that, isn't it? whether it was an audible voice, whether God spoke through so-and-so it is not mentioned. But they knew that yes, this was from God. They were hundred percent sure. Is that how we inquire of God? If we have to transfer truth to the generation next, then we must know that God is seriously interested in us obeying what He wants. Remember. God wants to use each one of us but he doesn't really need us. He wants to use us but he doesn't really need us. If we think that God needs us then what we are saying is God we have made up all this agenda. We have made things easier for you so you just help me. But if we recognize God doesn't need us but God wants to use us then we are open to him and say God what do you want me to do? I am open to your plans, and we show this if you are holding on to your life or if you are willing to release it before God. This morning, ask yourself Are you holding on, or I you release to your life? Are you holding on to your future and say, God, these are my plans for the future? Or are we seeking the Lord and saying, Lord, I release my future to you and say, Here is my life do what you want of it Lord, I am open for you to use me. If that is what it is, then the next generation the next years of your life will definitely be fruitful. The second important principle that we learn here is God's kingdom does not collapse when godly leaders die. God's kingdom does not collapse when godly leaders died. Joshua was dead, but that didn't mean everything was over. God raised up a next generation. The next generation was different from the first. The next type of ministry was different from the first. The next type of pattern was different. It was not just one leader. There were different people who God expected and then he was looking forward to David the king and then future of Jesus himself who will be the Messiah. God has different plans for different generations but just because one generation leader dies that does not mean the whole plans of God is over. Second important principle that we learn is about God's gracious hand. When the people inquired of the Lord, the Lord answered, Judah is to go, I have given the land into their hands. Then the men of Judah said to Simeonites, their brothers, come up with us into the territory allotted to us to fight against the Canaanites. We in turn will go with you into yours. So the Simeonites went with them. What is the principle that we learn over here? That God's blessing is poured out when his people operate in cooperative or cooperative unity. God said, Judah is the one who's going to lead. What did Judah do? He did not pick up and say, hey, I'm the next leader. I'm going to be the next boss. I will throw my weight around. No. Moses was there. Joshua was there. Now it is Judah. No. Judah said, hey, let's work together. Caught the Simeonites together. And they said, let's, we will help you. You will help us. That is definitely the key, isn't it? God's blessing is poured out when his people (coughs) operate in corporate (coughs) unity. And the Lord says, I have given this land to you. Similarly even today, if God has to make sure that the next generation, generation next is going to be regenerated and not degenerated, it is not a one man show, it is working together working together in unity to make sure that we are helping each other so that the faith of the fathers, faith of the forefathers is passed on to the next generation. And the thing that we need to be grateful for is Judah stretched out that hand to Simeon and they worked together. And the Bible tells us that the Lord gave the land into his hand. It is God who gave the victory. It is not Judah who did it. It is not Simeon who did it. They worked together. Who got the victory? It is God who gave the victory. Important principle, isn't it? Today in the church, we often tend to build each one's kingdom. That is what David Cloud had mentioned in that statement that I read, isn't it? We are our own kingdom builders, rather than God's kingdom. But the Scripture tells us here: when everybody works together and recognizes that it is God's kingdom, God is the one who is building it. Then God gets the credit, and that is what we see over here. Thirdly, we find a slippery model. So far, so good. But now, from verse five onwards, you find that there is a slipping away. There is a slippery slope ahead. Remember, when there is victory, you have to be careful. What is the slippery slope? You find <coughs> that day that is Judah and Simeon found Adoni Bezek. You know, he was the Lord of Bezek, and what did they do to him? He fled. They pursued him, caught him, cut off his thumbs and big toes. Anything wrong about cutting off? And he says, look here, I've killed 70 kings like the same thing. I'm suffering. I'm being paid for what I did, equal score. That's what he did. That's what he said. But if you notice, the Lord had very clearly told them not to do that, but rather to destroy, not to pick up the spoils, not to leave anybody maimed or mutilated because that was the pattern of the non-Christian world religions around at that time. The Lord said, you don't do like that. You totally annihilate. But what these guys did was they said, hey, let us do what these guys are doing now. If you notice, if you turn with me to Judges chapter 1 and verse 19. Judges chapter 1 and verse 19. It says, the Lord was with the men of Judah, they took possession of the hill country but they were unable to drive the people from the plains because they had iron chariots. Could it be that here was sin slowly coming in, here was disobedience slowly coming in and as a result the victory that was there is now slowly becoming defeat as the passages move further. They had iron chariots so they could not destroy them. But the Lord says, I am with you, I have given them into your hand. But when they began to do what the world was doing, you find that they lost out. Ask yourself this morning, on what slippery slope are you in? On what slippery slope are you in? What is that little thing that you are doing? Which the world is doing. The way the world is doing. The world will say if there is injustice, what do you do? You go to court. Right? What does a Christian do? Does the Christian go to court? People in the churches will say, no, you have to fight for your rights. Okay? The scripture says, no. What are the little things that the world is doing? And the world says, that is what you have to do. And you also follow those practices. The scripture says, don't do that. Because that's a slippery slope, it will lead only to defeat. The last bright spot if you were to say <coughs> is in verses 8 to 15, verses 8 to 15, we find <coughs> the passage about Othniel. He was rewarded with Aksa for a wife and then find he asking for the springs of water and then in verse 16 we find this passage the descendants of Moses father-in-law the Kenite went up from the city of Palms with the men of Judah to live among the people of the desert of Judah in the Negev near Arad. Two bright spots that are there one you find one individual who is still faithful who is still obedient, who is still not got on the slippery slope and as a result he is rewarded. On the other hand you also find Moses' family, the Kenites, okay, the descendants from that land, they are not Jews, you know, they are now part of the land as well. God opens up the door if you want to say. God's plans and purposes include all who will believe in Christ and be saved. No matter who you are and what you have done, God welcomes you if you will believe in his son. Option is given. On one side there is belief in Ornir. On one side you have belief in the lineage of uh, Moses' in-laws from the Canaanites. And both these individuals receive a blessing. That is the last bright spot, if you were to say, in this whole book. So this morning, as you look at these passages, a couple of application questions before we close. <clears throat> First of all, ask yourself: am I going to do and to act the way the world wants me to act? Or am I going to do and act the way God? Wants me to act. We're living in a world where the world is trying to squeeze us into its mold. The world will say this is the right thing to do, cut off their toes, cut off their limbs. And that's what you have to do if you have to survive in this world. Biblical principles are different. What are you going to do? Do what the world is telling you to do, or do what the world, the Bible tells you to do? Secondly, Am I going to accept the value system and ideals of this world or am I going to march to the beat of a different drama? The world has its different worldviews, different thought patterns. Are you going to accept that and become a part of what they are thinking? Or am I, are you going to say, I am going to think differently? I am going to think differently. I am going to fill my mind with what God wants me to do. I am going to inquire of the Lord. It's not going to be my plans and purposes but what God wants to establish in my life for the next generation. That's what I'm going to ask God for. I don't have my plans. I want His plans. Thirdly, am I going to be God's man or God's woman or am I just going to try and blend it? God has called us to be different. God has called us to be different. Both in the church and outside the church God calls us to be different be willing to take that stand even this morning and say, Lord, when I look at the book of Judges, I recognize a lot of bad things that they did, but this book starts off with this promising start of inquiring of the Lord. And this morning if this is your prayer, make that your prayer before the Lord. And say, Lord, I want to inquire of you. What do you want me to do? You have created me for a purpose. What is your goal for my life? How can I make sure that I leave a godly legacy behind? How can I make sure that my own life in the succeeding years would not get degenerated? How can I make sure that I be regenerated in my life every day? Inquire of the Lord even this morning. And as the Lord gives you his answers. How he is going to give you, I'm not going to say because God gives it in his own ways. But I believe if you are really serious about inquiring, God will give us an answer. And as we obey it, Corporate unity together. The church is built up. You and I are built up in Him. That's why heads in the world of prayer together.